to Pod on the Suit, your Steve and Tony fandom podcast. I'm Ferret. And I'm Flame. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Ferret. Hi, Flame. Hi, fandom. Welcome, everyone, to the penultimate episode of season one. That is right. We are almost done season one, which is crazy. I can't believe we've been doing this for a year. Today's topic is something we've talked about a lot, mostly accidentally, but today we'd like to focus on it, and that is age in fandom. To that end, we're trying to cover a few generations. Athla Tiger was gracious enough to chat with me from the Gen Z perspective, which is folks born after 1995 and up to 2010, but we don't have any <laughs> 11-year-olds on the pod, so we'll wait for the Generation Alpha perspective later. But before that, we have the incredibly special treat of Ferret's mom joining us to represent the generation of folks who fandomed before the internet. Flame and I carry the torch as best we can for the middle of that sandwich, and we'll talk about what we've learned in fandom and how we experience it in our 30s. And then, of course, we have to hear from you on the topic before Ferret gives us a trope-off update and y'all get your events forecast from Only and Marie. But please, before we even do anything else, make sure to oogle the adorable Avengers Academy art from Soupy Doodles before you dive into the app. Lots to do as always, so let's get started. Well, hello, Potscast land. We are here today with an incredibly special guest. We are, in fact, getting a chance to talk to Ferret's mom. So hello, Ferret's mom. Hello, Flame. How are you? I am Peachy. I'm so excited to finally voice meet you after all of these months. <laughs> so um, we're going to start off the way that we start off every interview, which is the way we phrase it is, what is your fandom origin story? And I know for a lot of different reasons, yours is going to be a lot different than mine. So talk to me about being a fan and what that means in your life. That's a, a great question. And there's layers within layers. Um, there's, um, in a sense, the short answer for the is when I got connected with a sort of internet community, though I think we weren't using that word much at that point, um, was in 1993. But in some ways, I look back now and realize that my sort of peak fandom, if you can put it that way, was before all this, because I think being part of a fan community is a different, it's a particular frame of mind. You think it speaks uniquely to you. You think you see things that perhaps others don't see. You feel a deep emotional commitment. And I felt that as a preteen and teenager with the original series, Star Trek, where my friend and I used to call each other after um, every afternoon rerun episode on the UHF channel, which will mean nothing to anyone. Um, and uh, discuss minute details. How did Spock look when he turned his head to the right and noticed what was happening, you know, at the command, you know, chair or whatever. And it was all terribly real and meaningful to us. And if it, the thought never crossed my mind to write us, write anything about this, though I'm sure people did, 
but we had no way of knowing that about one another. We were all in our own little pockets. I had my friend who I could call after school. She felt as passionately as I did. So the origins are there in a sense for me. And I now realize that what I spent every evening doing as I fell asleep during my peak insomniac years was make up what we would now call a crossover with Lord of the Rings and Star Trek, which all made perfect sense to me at the time and which I mentally elaborated on until I was a mother and had no insomnia or time anymore and never wrote down any of it. And it never even occurred to me that that was something people might do with someone else's story that just didn't even enter. And on the other side, this sort of passion and love side, um, I was devoted to the opera, devoted to the ballet. And that was where I imagined I had a per personal relationship in the way somebody going to you know, a, a con now might ex like feel like they really met so-and-so who was sitting up at the table talking into a microphone. And I would hang around at the stage door with other people and, you know, Carla Fracci would come out after dancing Giselle and she'd hand me a rose and I was convinced it was a personal relationship. <laughs> but but the, the years rolled by and those feelings sort of faded away a bit and then um, a couple things intersected, I think. Uh, a TV show, <laughs> this is my, my origin story for like the modern era of fandom. Um, there was a TV show, which I'm sure everyone has forgotten, called Forever Night. And it was filmed in the city I was living in. Um, and it, it had a few hot buttons for me. It was a vampire story. It was a vampire redemption story. And it was a police detective show. So it was like Hill Street Blues meets Dracula. And I was over the moon. And um, just as I, I got into the show late and I, I struggled to, to figure out what the, the beginning of the series was, which only ran for, I'm thinking three or four years. And, um, and now we need to pause and talk about where we are in the history of the internet. This is 1993. So people like, we were a very early adopter family for various professional and personal reasons. And we'd had email back to DARPANET basically. But at the time, pretty much the only people you were talking to via email were academics or the military. And as far as I could tell, the military had very little interest in vampire shows. I mean, as, um, far, as, we know, as far as we know. As far as I can tell, there may have been a completely separate ARPANET fan network all talking about this. But, um, but what there were, of course, were mailing lists. There were list servers with owners and somehow, and I do not remember how, I um, ended up on one of these. Now, I really, I, I wish I could remember uh, somewhere out there in the ether, you know, maybe somewhere in my, my files is the welcome email you always get for joining a list server. And um, that probably would have indicated how the heck I found it because it's clearly very small. <laughs> and, um, and in those days, mostly you found there were sort of early websites and 
you know, hyperlinks existed from the beginning, but it was all unbelievably um, crude. You know, there were no search engines, right? Yeah. So you used to swap URLs. Like someone would say to you, oh, there's this really cool thing about astronomy and here's the URL. And so someone must have, I must have somehow figured this out or, um, or my spouse did because he liked the show too. And, um, and we, we, I signed up for a list server that was based at an American university <laughs> and I've still got the emails and it's all the classic things people are talking about. Um, could Nick, who was the primary character, um, have actually get Natalie pregnant? You know, there are all these conversations about the new technical. This was an obsession. If you know, are vampires sterile? Yes or no? And um, and there are all these housekeeping emails like, if anybody posts this to a bulletin board again, I'm going to pull their privileges, and I've wiped it off this BB. And if you you know if you do it again, I'm going to filter it. And, um, and eventually there's another mailing list that is called Forever Night Spoilers because there was this huge internal battle over whether it was legitimate to talk about spoiler content in episodes um, because the show was shown internationally. So people were seeing it at different stages. And so they, they with great, I mean, there are angry emails about this for two months. Um, and in fact, one person, I made a note of this. I was just looking at this today because I thought, do I still have those FK list served emails? And the answer was yes. Yes, neatly in their own email folder. One angry person when they start the, um, the spoiler list serve says, at least I'm on AOL where there's no rules like this and I can read about what the episode is gonna be about ahead. And so it's just like the early days, you know, of of figuring out how to connect. I'm laughing um, so hard because AOL is how I got onto the internet in 1995. Yeah. And right. yeah. yeah, I jumped right into Playbill message boards that was all full of oh. recasting oh. musicals with all yeah. of us like right. humans. And so this is all, I wasn't quite as into popular. My first pop culture fandom was Dawson's Creek. So we have a couple of years till that comes out, but yes. I was a Broadway baby and that was um, my true love for, and still is, uh, still it is, has the deepest part of my heart. Um, oh, that's lovely. That's sure. lovely. Well, I was at Lincoln Center and you were in Broadway, you know, yes. hanging out at the stage door probably. Oh, oh yeah. I have some real fun and really, I now look back, cringy stage door stories. And I think we all do. So I know I, I did feel there was an age limit on that. Although not everyone, it was very clear from hanging out at the stage door <laughs> that not everyone experienced this age limit thing, but I definitely felt that there was a moment where I thought, you know, I've hung around for my last soprano or whatever. Like it just started to feel creepy. <laughs> so, That's and I totally was done. I That's definitely funny. still do sometimes. And it's normally because I like to be the one calm person in the sea of humans that just like looks at them like a human being <laughs> and, like, 
performance. Um, but it's it's fascinating to me that everything you just talked about, about like the drama in the Forever Night, you know, fandom is still stuff we deal with today. Just instead of starting a new listserv, we start a new Discord server. Um, uh, and, and it really struck me. I haven't reread these emails for, I don't know, you know, they're, they're 27 years old, 20, 20, 26 for the most, most of them. And I haven't looked at them in probably 20 years. And um, I was really struck reading it by how, how consistent the issues are <laughs> then it's, to now. Yeah. Um, and it's also tiny. It's tiny, like the same, they, they, they greet people individually when someone joins. Man. And they're really excited when they get to their sixth country represented. Well, there are still fandoms like that, I think, because I was talking to somebody who works for OTW uh, a little while ago, and they, she mm -hmm. was talking about the really obscure, like the smaller anime, really obscure fandoms. But it's certainly... Mm -hmm. It's certainly more rare than it was. So from Forever Night, where did you go to another property? Yeah, so it was, um, I, I really had to uh, think about how this happened. The critical thing, the reason this timing is so clear to me is not only because I found the emails, but because of the way it interacts with a couple of events. We, we were going abroad to live abroad for a while. And it was like mid-run on Forever Night. And by that point, I must have figured out another list server. I don't think it's a URL because the printouts, I can remember what they look like. And they were absolutely rudimentary, typescripty, non-word process things. I must have found a fiction site. And I printed three or four stories. And no one was saying fan fiction. I printed three or four stories to bring us light reading when we were out of the country and kept up with the show on the list server because we couldn't see it and um, check the episode lists. And at some point during that absence, I encountered the X-Files and it was even where we were, it was like season two or something. I think it was season five or something back in the States. I had never watched it, but I became aware that I was totally confused and that I could not survive this show without an episode guide and a sort of intro summary of what the heck was going on. And somehow I entered the world of episode summaries and that became somehow the gateway to fiction on some websites. By now you're getting like, this is 94, 95. Right. And again, right. I, I think I was printing stuff out to read it. And, um, but the X-Files and Forever Night, and I'm thinking I'm forgetting something. Uh, we came back home and um, I, at that point I started looking for websites and they were really basic and they were almost entirely um, one person things. And somehow I stumbled across a Buffy 
website. Again, Buffy had been running for a few years. I tried it. I hadn't liked it. I hadn't understood it. It was. It seemed very much aimed at a teen audience, um, and I was not a teen audience. And but Buffy had produced, unlike any other fandom I kissed, and I might think of a couple others because I'm clearly forgetting a couple. Um, it produced unbelievable amount of fan fiction. And initially, I'm thinking this is before fanfic.net, you know, the net fanfic net or whatever it's still called. Um, do you know what the start date is on that claim? My God, FF. I was, I think it was 98. Okay, so this would make sense then, because I was thinking, could it already, I didn't think, I think I remember it starting. So prior to that, yeah, because I, I was going West to- Wing fic in two, by the time I started posting on FFN was in 1999 and it was already, right. it was already there. Already there. So I, I was looking at, at um, individual posts websites and there would be like six pieces of fiction on them right and I am clearly forgetting some show in there but mostly it was X-Files and uh, Forever Night had run its course and um and then along 98 sounds about right FFN appears and I go to it and I discover that some of the shows I've been idly. Oh, I know what I'm forgetting. It's Due South. Oh my um, gosh. We'll come, we'll come back to Due South. And I get to FFN and there's like 12,000. I remember 12,000 Buffy fix and like 17 of one of another show I followed, 102 of another. And I began to get a sense that there was a lot more out there than I'd realized. But now we'll loop back, due south. So due south, in my opinion, is kind of an exception to the rule, which is the shows with the most enraging holes, the shows that have wasted the best characters produce the most copious and often most creative fanfic. There are exceptions to that. West Wing is another exception. But Due South, I think, was the is is a great show. <laughs> it's a great show, and yet it it produced the fan fiction that really sucked me in, because I'm I'm clearly missing timelines here. I should have looked this up, but um, I somehow came across. Well, it was Francesca then, Speranza's fanfic for Due South. And there must have been, uh, maybe it was the North of 60 or something, there was some specialist website for Due South and had Speranza and Resonant and Astolat on it. And everything was great. But Speranza's, I, I, can, I could rattle off titles of a bunch of the pieces because I thought they were absolutely superb. And that sort of sucked me down the hole because You've got really good writing there. You've got a show I really respected. But what this led to was, in a sense, I think of it as, in a way, whatever year that would have been, that was like the line under what I would call 
my life in fandom because what I become at this point is a consumer of fan fiction as light reading and other forms of light reading or erotic reading that I used to do go. And, uh, and I spend the time I would have spent on that and probably more than I meant to on, on this, on fan fiction. And this leads to, for the first time, a lot of reading related to shows I've never seen or shows that I try and think are awful. So there's fantastic fan fiction uh, for the Sentinel as well as horrible fan fiction for the Sentinel, but there's wonderful stuff. And I could not make it through two episodes of the actual show. And this begins a whole sort of, whole sort of um, veer away from coming to something because you felt a, a sort of ownership, which I think is a key part of being a fan, is that feeling of ownership and mutual affection. And I, I, I became, I know this became instead an extremely time consuming library. And as long as it was specialist websites, like Wow, what is it? Prospect 852, I think was the Sentinel one. Um, and comparable ones. They're specific. There were there were so many um, individual sites for Buffy, but then merged into some fantastically curated archive sites. But when all this begins to um, explode on FFN, and then um, you know, on OT3, you kind of it becomes, you get, uh, for me, it became problematic, I'll be honest. You, you, it's kind of a gaming thing. There's always one more fic, there's one more link, there's one more way to search, or someone whose writing you loved that was related to a show you loved, pretty soon you've spent gazillion hours reading everything that person wrote. And the truth is 90% of it is for shows, novels, comics that you are never going to read. And I still am sort of, um, don't, I, I don't know quite how I feel about that. Like it's a very different thing. It's a consumer relationship, not a fan relationship. Is this to do with my time and service to reading this stuff? Is it to do with um, but my age and the way I relate to um, a life on the internet? Uh, I just don't know. That was very long. <laughs> it was fascinating though, because what's so interesting to me is that we are in different generations and yet have really parallel experiences in fandom. Um, I find that of, fascinating. I didn't expect that at all. What, there have been seasons that actually, ironically, the episode we just premiered, Fair and I discussed that there are so many properties where we voraciously consume maybe the media of it, but we've never read any fan fiction for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and whereas like I cut my teeth really like the, the early fic that I am the most proud of is West Wing stuff that I wrote. Right. Um, right. And I was like part of running a, a West Wing fan fiction archive for a little while. And it was a huge part of my life. Whereas Ferret loves West Wing as much as I do and has never written any work for it. Um, and so where, and I, it, I was into Buffy entirely as a consumer and wrote mm -hmm. nothing for it was never inspired mm -hmm. to write anything for it because the vampire part of Buffy was never what attracted me. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to play with that. And what the balance is in what properties that you want to be a consumer in, what properties you want to participate in community, because very, just because of things I know about your family life in my relationship with Ferret, you are definitely a participant in other fandoms, especially in opera, um, in terms of how you talk about it with other people and how you share your love of it. And you shared your love of Steve and Tony with Ferret, which is how we got her. So thank you on behalf of everybody. Um, and so in that way, that's still, that's not just, I wouldn't say strictly a consumer either. Like there's still an interaction with it. Um, where all of these lines are quite blurred, but the ultimate thing of it is that there's something in some of us humans who take a fictional property and say, I want to live in that for a little while longer. And for some of us, I I love books, traditionally published books, just as much as I love fic. um, And, and it can go both ways, but like there, there are, sports fans who want to live inside their teams a lot longer there are um you know band music fans that want to crawl inside the songs and kind of live there Mm -hmm. and all of us that want that have this impulse to interact I guess like as cheesy as it sounds like in our souls with this thing that we love (laughs) is a little bit different um but there's degrees of that like I remember Due South and I now need to find some of this fan fiction for it um but like oh Speranza, you all you have to do is read Speranza and Resonate. They wrote, I think, the best fan fiction ever written in that fandom. And oh, I'll I can't wait. Say that. I can't <laughs> wait. And like I think I've seen four episodes of the X-Files because it just was never for me for a variety of reasons, including that yeah. I was too busy living in, in musical theater at the time. But I've read right. thousands of pages of X-Files. Um, now you see, I I um, eventually got very into that show. And I, I dabbled, I went in and out of that fan fiction corpus and I never, I never found it satisfactory. I've, I've decided that there's some completely mysterious thing that attracts particularly good writers to certain um, fandoms. And I, I, I mean, I only know a, a tiny percentage. I mean, I, I, I followed writers for the last 15 years, I've followed writers. So it's taken me into weird nooks and crannies. I don't read everything, even the writers I like best, right? But it also means I'm not, I'm not discovering as much serendipitously as I used to. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason is the scale of what's available, the quantity oh means gosh. you absolutely have to filter. And with filtering comes like attracting you know you you tend to read the same categories just like the difference between going to a library and shelf reading as opposed to doing an online you know book request yeah oh i miss shelf reading i know me too me too of course i particularly miss it now i know exactly (laughs) i think i'm going to reactivate every academic library card i can i'm entitled to activate after all this is over and just go hang out in stacks until I feel better about life. So. I, yeah, I belong to three library networks um, <laughs> where I live and where I work. And uh-huh. um, and I can't wait till, uh, like there's a time limit in my local library right now of how long you can be in there, which I totally understand. I'm not, this isn't shade on the librarians at all. 
But like yeah. the first day they take that sign down, I swear I'm just bringing a Starbucks coffee and sitting in the middle of one of the fiction aisles. <laughs> like, I'm feeling oh. that way. It's the funniest things. The thing I grieved the most at the beginning of, of, uh, of lockdown was, was just my, I mean, concert going is just a huge part of my life. And, mm. and at one point I, I tallied it up and I had lost something like uh, 47 uh, events that I was booked to go to. Um, My, yeah, and I, had, I just, I had 14 like theater things between Philadelphia oh. and New York that I had tickets. Oh. Um, so yeah, it's all, but it's, it drove, I mean, I somehow bizarrely managed to create during the pandemic, which I'm still not entirely sure how I did. And I just wrote a ton of words. Um, but it's been, the, the, I absolutely know that the minute I start going to theater again, I will be inspired uh -huh. in ways that I'm currently not being inspired. Um, yeah, I, 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 I felt, I'm certainly not creative and I felt, but I felt very engaged in mm. initially. And at this point, I, like I, I, I spent, I've spent six hours watching an America, America's Cup yacht race over the last two days. I enjoyed every minute, I might add, but we're not talking a high level of knowledge or, or participation on my part. I sat in a chair with a cup of tea and watched people push boats around in Auckland. Um, so Fascinating. Yeah. I know nothing about yacht racing. I ended up in accidentally well, in Bermuda once. When I we have to tell you, I, I have to tell you, it's there. <laughs> I'm going to pitch the America's cup. They're at the challenger stage and it's all being shown free on YouTube because they have unbelievably deep peeled backers and Prada is paying to have it up on YouTube the whole time. I love and it. it's really clear explanation for even people who are as ignorant as I am, but yeah, the whole thing, what do you get from like, what do you get from that love you give to that fandom, right? And is an interesting question. And I felt, as Ferret may have told you, I've got a lot of complicated feelings now about fan fiction. I, uh, partly because I see myself as kind of parasitic in that I read, but don't contribute um, in any meaningful way. And, um, and also because there are often things about it that worry me, um, but I, um, but it's been a huge part of my life since the, you know, mid nineties, apparently, which I couldn't have told you until I started thinking about it, but yeah. Well, so, I, we're, happy the thing to, I, we're happy to give you the opportunity to think about it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'll say it again, this has been, I was been really struck by um, how fandom has not changed because humans don't and incredibly passionate people about things are always going to be incredibly passionate. And I was talking a little bit about this with my brother who is a massive sports fan. He is, he is absolutely massive. And we were talking about reading the history of the Liverpool football club recently, which we've both done. <laughs> and uh, we are both big Liverpool fans. And some of the same fights that we remember reading during Brendan Rogers management right. a couple of years ago, right. they were having right. in the sixties. Um, yeah. And some of the same words and the same arguments. And, you know, it's, it's depressing sometimes to say there is nothing new under the sun. Um, 
and the, certainly that passage in Ecclesiastes is, is, is somewhat depressing, <laughs> but the point, the point of it and the point of that phrase really is that humans are humans. Yeah. And we, yeah, no matter what absolutely. the rest of our trappings are, we're just kind of humans. And I think both the, the sort of warmth of fandom and the dark side of fandom comes from this sense of possession yep. that comes with being a fan. It's not just, it, and that's where I think I, I see a very different relationship for me now, like post 98, let's say, but I get, but I, I know that feeling, you know, that feeling of, of mutual possession that is part of phantom. And you can see how it's this lovely, it's like this comforting blanket. It's also, um, for some people, it's, it's just not healthy, you know, go yeah. do something. It's like, like in Galaxy Quest, you know, just at least they're outside. That's what you kind of want to say sometimes, at least they're outside and not, um, you know, sitting at the screen, imagining an intimacy that maybe sometimes doesn't exist, but I know that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. Um, but yeah, it's kind of fun to look back. Honestly, um, I can recommend you South with such passion. It was a wonderful show and the, the, the fanfic, I could still rattle off eight sessions, like a whole bunch of them are just amazing. Um, and it was out of this writing that Resonant wrote a really, um, wonderful essay, which knocked around for years and years. I don't know if it's still out there about what do you need to have in a sex scene to make it worth writing a sex scene? Like, what does it have to accomplish in the story? And honestly, everybody could do with reading that still. But, oh, um, sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, I, if, and if anybody can find it on the internet, it is your daughter. So hopefully, yes, I have faith. I have faith. She has the genes for it and she knows what to do. But uh, no, it's so true with um, with the Marvel universe. The interesting thing is it's kind of looped around from the younger generation to me because we um, always had Marvel comics in the house. And part of the reason was that younger family members like my brother and sister-in-law um, who were considerably younger um, were devoted to them and they would give us subscriptions for Christmas every year. And my favorite was always X-Men. I still think X-Men's the best of the comics. I've never, I've never even watched any of the movies. I love the comics, but um, they were always there. You know, we were a Marvel household all the way. And the movies came out, started coming out, and I kind of like Robert Downey. So I looked at, I th think the first Iron Man, I guess, and I liked it. But for the most part, I find them that, I, I mean, I'm literally like reading something during most of the CGI scenes. I am so bored. So, so I haven't even seen, I've seen maybe three of the movies, but that's where a lot of my fanfic action has been. It's such a rich opportunity. It's, this is the perfect example of all the character stuff is left on the cutting room floor, right? Yep. So it leaves yeah. good authors the opportunity to write millions of words to make up the backstory and the forestory and all the interstitial bits that are missing. And um, so that's been a, a huge, um, you know, fandom interest. Though occasionally I, you know, I go to the odd, I keep looking, I keep waiting for sort of a good Jane Austen never comes. I, you know, kind of poke around here and there, but um, 
Yeah, check out the Sentinel every once in a while. And um, Sentinel AUs are something that everybody wants in Marvel fandom often, like the Marvel characters written in the Sentinel yeah. universe that is yeah. wanted frequently. So the the um, the premise of the show is, is, I think, has outlived the popularity of the show. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And if you'd ever seen the show, you would understand why. Um, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's just, I mean, the, the acting's fine and everything. That's not the problem. It's just like nobody cared about continuity at all, right? And so frustrating. Um, I know. And, um, but in fact, you say the, the word crossover. I actually didn't read Sentinel for years because until there was exclude filters, uh. um, I could not. I couldn't. That's fair. Get uh, yeah, exclusive. Uh, get to, get to, you have to go through two hundred top kudos stories that were about werewolves before you would actually get to anything, even about just the premise. Um, oh, Stargate Atlantis. There's another show where I've read a lot of the fanfic, and that's a, that's actually unusual in that even though some of my of all of my favorite authors moved basically from due south to stargate atlantis i actually did check out the tv show first because it had an actor in it david hewlett who i had loved from a really cool brainy canadian series called traders and he was he's in stargate atlantis i had never seen any of the stargate i mean maybe i'd seen five minutes of the regular stargate show and i just hated these sort of um aliens with big heads, like people talking in robotic pseudo-Egyptian languages. This was like as far from my taste as you could get. So I never pursued it. But um, I love David Hewlett, so I was like quite excited that there was this spinoff. And I think I survived two episodes. And, um, but this fan fiction spin was great. And um, which brings us kind of to the whole, you know, canon fanon thing you know there because once you start reading without knowing anything about the source material you start developing very strong preferences you know along sort of lines of descent that may have nothing to do with the show at all and it's quite a shock if three years into reading this stuff you go back and check out the show <laughs> read the book <laughs> And there's, um, there's some famous stuff yeah. about that in Marvel where like I I've said this story on the podcast, but um, I'm not like I am. It may not seem like this, but a casual Marvel fan. <laughs> um, I don't really care about canon like that much. It's mm -hmm. not it's not like my favorite thing. And uh, the, the reasons I fell into this fandom are they you know, I wanted to write a story. I felt the need to rewrite the whole um, MCU canon when right. I walked out of Endgame. Right. I did that. Then I thought I'd walk away after a couple more stories. Um, I like writing movie retells. So I did Steve and Tony in the American President. Um, <laughs> I, may have to, I may have to look for that. Uh, it's called, it's called, turns out I have a rose garden. Um, and <laughs> I had a ton of fun writing that. I didn't know anything about community at that point. Um, I right. was shocked people were commenting on the fix. And then I took a punt, joined a bang, found Discord, and then there was right. no way I was leaving once I found the humans um, and got to and started to make friends and really began to find home in this place. 
but I, yeah, I, a couple of, I still haven't seen some of the movies. A couple of them, I vaguely remember the plots, but I actually know them more from the Lego video games that I right. play. <laughs> um, but I well, host you know, podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think, I've, I feel like I've seen the movies, but I really think the only one I've seen is the first Iron Man. And I think I forwarded to all the social interaction bits in yeah. um, the first Avengers movie. And that was, I think, the last I did. So, and I, I thought the Captain America character in the comics and couldn't stand him. So I've never done, I've never, I've never seen a movie or voluntarily read a comic on about that character, but I, I love him in, in Fanon, you know, I, I have no problem with, with his completely rigid authoritarian um, mindset when it's softened through a humorous writer and a relationship or two. But um, yeah, it's, it's fast. And then there, there are elements of, but because I, I hadn't seen, you know, Joss Whedon's Avengers in 10 years when I started, you know, not quite that, but like five, six years when I started writing fandom, I was reading fanfics and it was like, well, you know, everybody like Clint really likes to hide in vents. I was like, oh, that must be in the movie. And I missed it. Like, mm-hmm. no, Fanon just created that. Got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's another piece of what we've been talking about, about the proprietary nature. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I'm a firm believer that as a, even as a creator, once you release something into the universe, it no longer belongs exclusively to you. Um, You've contributed to the stories that we tell about humanity. And while you can certainly like retract it or say no, or please don't talk about this anymore. And you absolutely have the rights over that. um, Innately, it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, And we kind of get to do with the characters in our own souls, what we want to do with them as they move on and the truths that they've taught us and the ways that we get to interact with them in our lives and I love I enjoy separating the creator from the characters um I have to do that with Harry Mm -hmm. Potter pretty extensively Mm -hmm. um but this idea of proprietary nature and like what things mean to us and how we do it I think is I'm so glad you brought it up that way and the the possession nature that that you kind of addressed and and that feeling of passion it was just it's a really good encapsulation of what we all feel with fandom um, that no one else has quite put a button on uh, as strongly as you did. So um, that was, I, I want to be respectful of your time because I'm looking at the clock and we've, we've been chatting for a little while. So Ferret's mom, thank you so much for joining us. Um, You're very welcome. It's been a true gift to uh, hear from a different side of a fandom experience. That's very unusual for me until two years ago. I probably had never said to appear us anything about fan fiction they they I, I can remember even two years ago no one in my age group even I, most people still don't know what the term is and have no idea of the whole transformative works kind of community so it's really interesting and enjoyable to be able to talk about it So in between hearing from my mom, which yes, feels weird to say, but also awesome, and hearing from our younger fandom friend, Athla Tiger, who's going to be after, we thought we'd slot ourselves in the middle since that's where we fall and talk a little bit about our experience as sort of mid to late millennials in our average mid-30s. <laughs> um, 
as, as we've experienced fandom and how we experience it now and how we think experiencing it in our 30s is different than in our last two decades that we've been in it. So what do you think? I think for me, one of the biggest differences in being in like something in my 20s and something in my 30s is that I'm a whole lot more comfortable in saying what works for me and what doesn't and understanding that I'm not making a value judgment at all on people who like different things than me. So I used to feel really bad if I didn't like the thing everybody else loved Mm. or I really loved the thing everybody else hated. Right. Like controversial opinion. I don't really mind end game. Sorry guys. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, I have incredibly strong, strong opinions about other things. Don't worry. I mean, you've heard them, but (laughs) when I was 10 years ago, I would have never said that out loud. I would have told you all that I hated it just as much as the rest of quote unquote, the rest of fandom did because I would be terrified to have my own opinion that somebody could hate me for. Mm. And in the last 10 years of my life, full stop, but and so this has impacted how I enter into fandom. I'm a whole lot more just like, well, this is kind of what I like and that's okay. Like, it's okay that I didn't, I don't watch this show that everybody else watches. It's okay to say, actually, I don't really like watching movies that much. And when people are like, oh, but this one's so good. I'm a lot of being like, not for me, not for me. And that's okay. Like even this week on the server, people were talking about Saber's fic, higher form of war, which I probably, and I love Saber with my whole being, will never read because it's over 300,000 words. And that is a lot for my little flame brain. And I just don't think, I just, it's not because I don't love her. It's because I don't really read super long fix. And when I was younger, I would have been terrified to say that. Um, and now I'm just like, hey, it's no judgment on her. It's no judgment on, on the art itself. It's just how I consume things. That's a major difference for me in how I interact with fandom at this phase of my life. I think that it's a like a near universal experience that your 30s is the the phase of letting go of what of really caring what other people think (laughs) like everyone who I've spoken to has said that the thing that changed for them as they went through the end of their 20s and into the beginning of their 30s was a really distinct and noticeable shift in the way that they worried about other people's perceptions of them and so I think this is a just a sub point of the seemingly inevitable process of I th- and, you know, it, part of why it's so inevitable is that your 20s are inherently a phase of self-discovery. And yep. it's, you know, a lot of people are getting kicked out of the nest for the first time, getting their first jobs, their first careers, maybe their first homes, or at least their first spaces that that are theirs alone, um, or they're starting to be someone who supports their family, um, takes care of older people parents, you know, this sort of thing just starts to come in. And so there's a lot of change and a lot of self-discovery and a lot of upheaval. And you also, if you, if you, especially if you go to university, but even in your first jobs as well, there, you spend a lot of time being told that you're not wrong or that you're wrong or that you don't know things yet, or, you know, learning new things or being adjusted. Um, and that settles down in your late twenties and leads into the period of going, oh, you know what? There's a lot of things about myself I know now. And that inherently gives us the stability to say, 
and I'm comfortable with what those things are and therefore I'm not gonna apologize for them. And I think that that can make a big difference about how we approach fandom. And inevitably we end up with some like cross-generational miscommunications because if you're amongst a community outside of fandom where someone else saying they dislike something is a direct attack on you liking it because that's hello, that's high school for sure. Um, If you don't fall in line, then you're opening yourself up to bullying because kids are discovering, you know, how to other people and um, how to form groups and how to protect themselves from social uh, responses. And so growing out of that is partially growing within yourself, but also experiencing community spaces that suit you and learning that um, everybody can have their own opinions and it's not a slight on your opinion for someone else to feel differently. And also that you are not being a slight on someone else's opinion by having your own. And, uh, you know, that kind of, that kind of disagreement and, and liking different things is what keeps our community interesting and, and diverse and engaging and gives us things to talk about and flame and I things to argue about. So like <laughs> we wouldn't <laughs> want it any other way. No, for sure. Yeah, the we the diversity of fandom in terms of opinions and and viewpoints and tastes and loves are one of the reasons that we enjoy it and we do debate and we talk about it constantly and that's great. And why we can have and so it, many guests on this podcast to talk about different things. Yeah, and with that we want more and we're looking at the season 2 schedule and I'm already I already have more ideas than season 2 can contain and so that's what's really exciting and all of that is so true and when I I mentioned to my best friend from college who we will be friends for 20 years this fall that we were doing this episode about fandom and she remembers she remembers in college we were for a very short amount of time but passionate very into Smallville oh yeah and uh, I remember that peak yeah I was very into Tom Welling's abs I just need to be honest um and I really wanted him and Chloe to get together. And I don't know why, can't tell you why. Um, Cause I think, cause I wanted Lana with Lex. It just worked for me. I don't know any of these people. So I'll just nod along. I'm saying this for cool. the benefit of other people. <laughs> um, um, I'm here too though. <laughs> okay. Well, you talk a lot about Buffy and I don't always know what you're talking about with them. <laughs> All right. Well, when you stop talking about Smallville, I'll talk about Buffy. <laughs> okay. Um, Anyway, I was really into it for like a hot minute and so was my best friend. And if there had been this kind of ex- uh, this kind of experience, I think I probably would have fallen deeply into a smallville hole. But that's when I taught her about fanfic and I didn't remember that that's that that happened. Oh. Um, she remembers though. Like she, that's a distinct She remembers. Memory. She has a distinct memory of me talking to her about fanfiction and me telling her I wrote it. Oh. And So I don't have a memory of telling anybody that I wrote it at all prior to like two years ago or no, like I wrote, I told people I wrote it in when I wrote the high school musical one and I got shamed for it like crap. And so that's why it took me forever to tell people about it when I started writing Marvel. But so I told her and I don't remember this and I'm actually kind of like amazed that I don't because she said that she asked to read some of my stuff. And I was like, well, I must have blocked this. So you must have hated it. And we got in this whole thing about it jokingly. And she was saying that as somebody in her, like she was afraid to get into fandom because she was so married to canon. 
Mm. And she hadn't come, she hadn't come to the idea yet. We were 20. So she was 22 and I was 21. She hadn't come to the idea yet that you could transform works as a matter of respect. Oh, okay. It was like, something's wrong with this. So I'm going to fix it. She thought that was the universal perspective. Correct. And she, even if she thought something was wrong with it, she also had the attitude of like, right, but I'm not the creator. I'm, it's not my characters or I'm not the professional here. I can't do that. Right. And so we were, and that's evolved now. And like Harry Potter, she's not in fandom necessarily, but like, she definitely loves the idea of transformative works. And for her, the real tipping point was Harry Potter right. um, and fan art in particular. Cause I was like, you understand that people selling like iPhone cases on Etsy is transformative works, right? Like right. that's it too. Um, and so, so she and I were talking a couple of nights, about, uh, night, nights ago about this particular episode. And she said that for her, that that would be one of the things too. And she asked if I agreed. And I said, well, obviously I've always thought that fucking around with something is a way to express love with right. it. <laughs> um, but I, so for me, it's not as much, but I wonder if that's the case for some other people we know, if that's like, once you hit a certain point in your, in your development, whether that's in your late twenties or thirties or whenever it is. And it's like, no, 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 I don't, I don't have to, this isn't sacrosanct. Right. Or if that was like a time in history, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a lot of the memories I do have of like experiencing fandom feelings with friends before the internet was really the fundamental way that it was done. I had two friends. I specifically remember one in elementary school and one in high school. And I like, I remember like printing off, printing, printing off on paper, all of the lyrics to the once more with feeling the Buffy musical episode where they sing the whole thing. And we printed off all the lyrics to all the songs. And we used to walk to school and home from school, we would sing the songs and we had the lyrics there in case we forgot them. And that was like, that was like my active fandomy thing at the time. I was only reading a little bit of fanfic and I, it had never occurred to me I could write it. And we were like playing make-believe and stuff like that based on that canon and singing the songs to appreciate it and learning the episode guides. Like there was definitely many phases in my life when I could write out the whole episode list for all of the seasons of shows that I loved. And uh, the like move into it being transformative I don't really remember that process. And perhaps listening to my mom just talking about her feelings, you can see that like I was raised by that woman. So like it was it was instilled within me as a concept already that that this was a thing and that and that it was a, it was a it was a big thing and that if you if you were interested you could go get more content and it was like, "Oh yeah, okay, cool. Awesome." So that's really interesting that and yeah, I would love to hear if if people had to sort of um, accept their desire for transformative works. If the initial reaction was a negative one and it took, it took a process and, and self-reflection or exposure to the community or something to get over a natural disinclination to transform works. And I have no idea how universal that is, but it was such a marked statement for me that like, I didn't know I was allowed to do that. Yeah. And I think, I think for me, it's been formative in my relationship with canons and I've talked to Sol about this because she's also she also expressed something similar in that the the shift for her was Harry Potter and that she could understand that the movies were different than the books and they were separate entities entirely. Right. 
Yeah. And that was the first, that was the first thing for her personally, where she loved both things equally. Um, and so when I was explaining to her, like why I really got into Marvel, which again, something she supports, but is like a, she has seen all the movies, but would never participate in transformative works. Right. Um, like when I talked to her about it and I said, right. Okay. So the can the Marvel canon is, is great. The MCU canon is great. I'm sure there are many, many comics canons that are great. I am not like, even as much as I joke about the fact that I, I wrote that first fic because I had to fix the canon, which is, I still felt about that. I didn't think that there was necessarily like something so wrong that the whole MCU was invalid. I just liked my version of it better. Yeah. And that, that doesn't to like 20 year old flame that would not have sounded like two different statements. Right. But I understand that like things can stand on their own now and that, and transformative works have given me that gift because like there is no canon beyond, like there is no even canonical fanon. Like you cannot ask people, what are the 10 fix that absolutely everybody needs to read? We are all going to have opinions. There's going to be a couple that are going to end up on there, but it's not quite as universal as I think a discord server thinks it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so like, there's, it's, we just kind of get to keep doing this. And I say, I say all of that and it may seem really apparent to you guys, but for me, that's been a huge part too of how I see my life in my thirties and that I get to say, okay, here's this person's definition of life. And here is this person's interaction with this world. And I see things so completely differently, but that doesn't mean that theirs is invalid. And that doesn't mean that that is, that that is wrong. And that that attitude, both in my offline life and in my online life is not something I would have been able to embrace in earlier selves. Hmm. Um, and so that's, that's kind of one of the things, one of the reasons that I'm so big into tomato and our first rule of fandom being do no harm and then do you is a mark of my age, to be completely honest. And the amount of life I have lived and how much more I know I have to live. Yeah. But I feel like in my 30s, it's this really significant thing of like, I have lived a lot. Like statistically, I've potentially lived half my life. Um, and with the meat sack I've got, maybe over half my life. Womp, womp, womp not to be depressing, but like that's kind of life. Um, I've statistically potentially lived over half my life. I still have more to go for sure but I have enough in my bones to know some things for absolute sure. And to know even more the things I don't care as much about Mm. to know even more the things that I hold loosely. There's even off, there's this sort of feeling that grows in you when you deal with a community like this of, of being able to say, I don't need to form an opinion on that. I don't care. No. And I think that that's something that takes some time to develop the ability to say, this social media or this post or this fic or this art or whatever is demanding that I form an opinion on something and I am choosing not to. And you can just not decide how you feel about it and continue on with your life. And it turns out that that is okay. That that is okay. Or you can just remain completely indifferent to it. Yeah. Like you don't even have to be as apt as deciding not to have an opinion on it. Like there was something that was a huge conversation in a server I was in a couple of days ago and I was scrolling through and I was like, I don't really have any feelings about this either way. I'm just going to keep scrolling until they change the subject. Yeah. 
and that's okay. And I didn't feel the need to insert myself and change the subject or to form an opinion. I just kind of kept going. Yeah. And that's life too. Like there are things that I will, I mean, hills I will die on a lot less than you probably think based on how I speak on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but like true, true, true hills I will die on. But honestly, a whole lot more of life is like, oh, well, maybe I might be wrong. Yeah. And that's been for me something in my 30s. Yeah, for me too. So um, what are some of the downsides to being in your 30s in fandom? Oh, Jesus. I, I don't... <sighs> Knowing fandom history in your bones and forgetting that not everybody else does. Yeah, yeah. Or like even to the extreme of inevitably things shift and change with time and you still have the, the snapshot or the definition or whatever that that is from an earlier time that, that, you know, the youths are not using it that way anymore. And that can be an adjustment. Yeah, time. I mean, I... God, if I had been this active in fandom in college, like y'all would have never gotten rid of me. Oh my God, I know. Um, I had so much more time in university. I had so much more time. Um, yeah, I mean, I like, I schedule every hour of my day most of the time and I schedule in fandom time. Yeah. And that kind of, that sucks because like, it just sucks because it brings me so much joy and I love my job and you love your job. Like we are not people that are fundamentally miserable all the time. Um, and we're very blessed that way, but like still most days I'd rather be sitting around shooting the shit about Steve and Tony. Yeah. Yeah. That gets hard. And just, uh, I find that even though I was doing potentially more creative work in university, I was doing a lot like on-demand creative work, like having to write essays and write stories and do all these kinds of things for my courses and like read and think critically about things. It didn't, I didn't experience the same feeling of creative drain that I get when I've drained myself doing my job. So if my work exhausts me, even if it was not creative work that I was doing, then it prevents me from being able to create as comfortably and the words dry up and I stare at a cursor for hours. Whereas when I was in university and I was, I guess, stimulating those parts of my brain, but I was less often fully exhausting myself, it was easier for me to make words happen and, and just stay. And like back then I was writing all original fiction, but it I, I didn't feel creatively drained as a consequence of non-creative activity. And in my thirties, I definitely feel that. And part of that is just the like, I hate to break this to anyone who's under 30, but like you legitimately notice a physical difference. I noticed oh my mine God, in 27, terrible. it started. Yeah. You're like, oh, there went the peak of my body and it is only downhill from here. Regardless of how high that peak was for you, <laughs> your body is now degenerating permanently <laughs> and you can tell. Oh so, my God. I, yeah. Oh, everything's a little bit sore. Everything's a little bit tired or you sleep a little bit worse. Or like if you miss a night's sleep, you feel it for longer. And it, I know it gets worse. I know we're just at the tip of that iceberg, but um, I think like around 27 was the first time I slammed into that wall. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I'm no longer regenerating my parts. I am using them up. How nice. <laughs> <laughs> How try? Yeah, I was 30. 
I was 30 living in, in international student housing with a whole lot of Irish 21 year olds. Let me tell Ooh. you how very quickly I realized that I was excessively old. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't take it like you used to. Oh, I need so much more water and yeah. I have so much more chin hair than I used to have. Like so much <laughs> more. Like why is there so much more chin hair? I don't get it. Oh, um, yeah. And like, if you, if you have pizza for dinner, you paying a price for that. You feel kind of shitty the next day, or at least I do. God's sake, no, I just eat pizza so much. My body just uh, assumes oh. that it will run on it. Um, yeah. My body, my body cannot handle the, with the same lays off air attitude, a, you know, continuously poor diet than it could when I was 21 and living off Cheetos or whatever it was I was eating. Oh man. My twenties were hot pockets. It's like all I ate in my twenties. Oh yeah. Um, hot pockets and jelly bellies. Um, not really. I ate best jelly bellies. I promise. You want to charm my mom? Cause I know you guys are BFFs now. Buy her jelly you bellies. You totally are. She fucking <gasps> loves them. Like it's her thing. Um, do I have to mail her some? I mean, she can get them very easily here. So it would be like okay. a, it'd be like a, you know, I know you like these, a special, maybe a hostess <sighs> gift. If you come visit, bring your jelly bellies. When I come, because this will all end and I will come and we will record a live episode with special guest Frisk. Um, (laughs) Yeah, whether we want her to be or not. Exactly. (laughs) She's a special guest on a lot of these episodes. You guys just don't know it. I'm trying to silently fend her off while she's trying to get her head bedded. Oh, Frisky. The last thing, and this sounds like this is one of those things that might sound really, really bitchy. And so I apologize ahead of time if it is. But one of the harder things for me is when I see people who are younger than me going through something so, so hard. And I, but I, I know on the other side of it that like they will survive it because we Mm -hmm. all have, um, and, or people stressing over things that like, I objectively know just because I have this chrono, I have a different chronological point of view, like they're panicking over things that are it feels to me like, like people are spending a lot of emotional energy on things they don't have to. Yeah. But I also know that being in my early 20s was a lot about spending emotional energy on things I didn't have to because I had to learn the lesson. Yeah, so, I think it's similar to the bravery conversation where it's like, yeah, you have to go through that shit so that you know you don't need to go through that shit again later. So it's inevitable. Sorry, yeah, but there, it does tongue. get better. <laughs> it does get better. And like holding my tongue sometimes is really hard and not being the like, well, as the old lady here. Yeah. Um, but I feel it a lot because like, so many bright and beautiful and bubbly people are chatting away in the chat about something that is so obviously very stressful to them. And I'm just like sitting there watching it being like, there is one of the world's easiest solutions to this for you. I wish I could gift you with how little I would care if I were in that situation. Like, or I wish I could gift you with like this thing that I can, like this mindset shift, I have a feeling will help. Yeah. Um, but the truth is it, we, we all got there through hard work and you and I are yeah. going to 10 years from now be like, oh, why did that bother me when I was 30? So. Oh yeah. I'm sure Saber laughs at us a lot. So like, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and cause like there, I know for a fact, my mom laughs at me cause she does it out loud to my face. Hmm. Um, I'm sure my mother does it to other people. She is, my mother is far too afraid of confrontation to do it to my face, but, um, but my mentors certainly do. So, um, I'm good. I still get my regular doses of humility, everybody. Don't worry. But I think in, that sounds both kind of maybe bitchy and also like a little bit ridiculous, but I really do want to help. And when my ways of helping come across 
as like condescending. If I know I overstepped, I know I did, but it's like, I'll sit on my hands sometimes and be like, I can help. Yeah. Um, and I, that's a hard thing for me. And that's, I know that, <laughs> that probably sounds like a, so what are your weaknesses? I care so much. <laughs> um, but it's, it's really not, it is, it is something that I've noticed. And I certainly didn't feel that way. Like when I was younger, um, I try, I mean, like I was a youth worker in my twenties. And so I spent a lot of my life telling tw- teenagers, you know, life lessons. And so maybe it's just bred in me. And this is a thing that I have to get used to, but that's hard for me as I feel like, I feel like I could help. Um, and it's not always clear, which are the things that are learned from experience and which are the things that can be rushed along by the right assistance. So it's, it's yeah. a process being at the older end of things. Like we are now approaching the older end of the average. I, obviously there are many people in fandom older than us, but for the active yeah. we take part in, we're shifting towards the older range of active people and, and moving into that area involves learning when you can be helpful when, and when it's, you know, just a matter of being like, I lived through that. It sucks. I'm sorry you're living through it now, but at least I'm proof that you can get through it. Cause I did too. Yeah. Here's, here's my battle scars, but they're scars. Um, yeah. and they weren't mortal wounds. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's that, maybe that's the learning that we are going to do in this decade of our lives. Maybe. Is there anything else that I haven't, that I didn't say that you find really difficult? Um, no, I think, I think that sums it up. I mean, being the like rude bitchy one here, I can straight up say that sometimes I find it harder to communicate with other generations. Um, I mean, I love Gen Z TikTok humor, though some of it I, I don't get, and I do miss Vine deeply, but um, I do sometimes feel that generational divide, but then also not old enough to be like, get off my lawn. <laughs> Cause I'm like, eh, I'm older than you, but I'm not that much older than you. But like, am I justified in being annoyed by the fact that we're struggling to communicate? Um, so, you know, that's just me. And I predict it'll only get worse as I get older. So <laughs> enjoy me now while you can, cause I'm not getting any nicer. <laughs> Yeah, we both definitely have get off my lawn moments, I think. Yeah. In life, just in general. I mean, Soulmate and I talk about it even in our work, um, in our daily lives. Like she'll she'll see something at the at the store or something. And like, I just wanted to start screaming, get off my lawn. I'm like, oh my God, may not us become Clint Eastwood. Um <laughs> But it's hard. I it's, think, yeah. I think what sums it up in an analogy that doesn't point anything at fandom itself is I used to live in an air, my city is a university, it's a small city and it has a university in it that is a large portion of the population during the year. And there are, there's an area of town that is the university and it's all students. And I used to live not in that area, but in an area where that was where I went, I drove there to go grocery shopping. So the grocery store that I shopped in was populated by students. However, they were all gone during the summer. So during the summer, I would happily grocery shop. In September, all the freshmen would move in and literally none of them had been taught how to grocery shop on their own. Totally unfair of me to expect, I'm sure I was like this when I was first learning how to grocery shop, but I am usually not in a great place when I'm in a grocery store because I wanna get it done fast and I wanna get out and I'm usually hungry. And the amount of milling about, holding lettuce, looking confused, you know, just (laughs) parking carts right across the middle of the aisle, not knowing how to line up or where to line up, just utter 
loss in some of their eyes as they try to figure out how to, you know, create food from nothing. Um, there were times when, when I was that person being like, I am going to ram your cart with my cart. <laughs> and like, I get it. They just need to learn how to grocery shop and everyone needs to learn how to grocery shop. Sometimes I want to ram, ram people in fandom with my cart because I, I don't want to watch them go through the same learning process that I had to struggle through already because it was hard enough doing it once. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, yes, I would say like as the college professory person in the in on this podcast, I would say your mileage with the patience of people who have not had your life always will vary. Yeah. And that's yeah, I mean, I when I even when I taught at a when I like when I taught at a university in a very similar situation where there was like an area of town that was entirely the college. I would absolutely never, like you could not have paid me money to, to shop where they all shopped. Yeah. And I was paid money to teach them. Um, because yeah, it's just not how I do. It's not how I grocery shop. And I am much less crabby about it than you are. Um, <laughs> You're much less crabby about almost everything than I am. Almost everything. <laughs> I don't that think is people entirely realize true. when they meet us. That is entirely true. Yes. Of the, of the uh, Laurel and hardiness of our little cohort here. <laughs> the not crabby one if I could have um, afforded to shop at the grocery store that the students couldn't have afforded to shop at I would have but I was in the same like earnings bracket as them so unfortunately we were forced to all be there oh I was in the situation where it was like there was a really good chain where I was and the, so the prices were the same everywhere I just had to drive a little further oh no my city's um, my city is pretty small <laughs> yeah this was this was a little bit of a bigger area of the of the world um but yeah, and it's the same, like, and I'll say this too, sometimes it's not even generations. Like sometimes it's literally like, I joke that generations are other countries sometimes. Like they do things differently there. Like the past is a different country. They did things differently. Mm. Um, but I, like when I lived in, when I lived in Northern Ireland, like I know I talk and I wax poetic and cause I loved it. I loved so much of it. I still wish I could live there. All of those kind of things, but oh, sweet Jesus Christ on a cracker were there times that I wanted to ram my cart metaphorically into people. Um, so some of, some of being an adult too is learning when you can and cannot do that because there is power sometimes in ramming your cart into people <laughs> and saying like, just get out of my way. Like, let me do this and get out of my way. Um, it's, it's a rough thing. Life is hard and none of us get out of it alive. Hashtag and I think <laughs> hashtag life is hard. But I think one of the great one of the get great gifts that fandom can give us is this multi generational space, and I do love talking to people that are older than me and hearing about. I mean, obviously my new BFF, Ferret's mom, um, but also other people. I love hanging out with all of y'all who are younger than me, the majority of you, um, and I love learning what that life is like. I love learning what life as a 22 year old in a completely different country is like. I love hearing about being a mom in a completely different country. I love hearing about a mom and being a mom in my country or what it's like being someone who's transitioning genders in a country whose health insurance doesn't allow that, that you would honor us with that trust and honor us with that story and trust that pain. I love all of that. I love all of those pieces of fandom. Um, I am somebody who can love them and live them a lot easier and healthier now that I am older than I could when I was younger. And so I am glad that I can give you all uh, this much more emotionally healthy version of who I am than I could have 15 years ago. 
Yeah. And I've definitely, as uh, for all the cart ramming, I say, I want to do like at the end of the day, I've definitely learned more and loved more in these other generations than, uh, than I've wanted to ram my cart. So obviously overall the access of fandom to other, of the, just other people is one of its great joys. And I think one of the things I'm most thankful for that we have discord now is how, how accessible that has become to me. And I know not everyone's on Discord, but for me personally, Discord has been the gateway into so many lives and so many hearts and so many experiences that um, really have helped me grow. And I'm sure that if I weren't in this community space, uh, my thirties would look a lot different. So I'm taking that to the bank and I am gonna cruise on into my forties and see what happens in the next decade. And speaking of people that we learn things from and who are gracious enough to share their stories, next up, let's hear from our designated baby. Um, <laughs> just kidding. She's not really a baby, but we called her that in our chats planning this. So next up is my chat with Tig. Well, hello, Podcastlandia. I am here today with the lovely and talented Athla Tiger. Hello, Tig. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. We are excited to have you. So as is the custom here at the Podcast, I would love to start us off by hearing how you got into fandom. Ooh, it's a decade in the making now. Um, Let's see. It started off when I was basically pretty much 11. And at the time, I was just getting into the Harry Potter books. Um, and I had issues like understanding the plot, wanting to know more about the characters, just um, learning about all the different characters and uh, how they tied into the entire universe and fandom. So I ended up um, stumbling across something called um, the Harry Potter Wiki. Um, and obviously the Wiki is now called Fandom. From there, I ended up going from the Harry Potter uh, Wiki to the Percy Jackson uh, Fandom. And what's so interesting is that I ended up staying there for quite a while, um, actually being a Wiki editor, um, being an administrator and being a bureaucrat at that time. Um, for a couple years, I made a lot of friends, and I joined the Roleplay uh, Wiki as well, and the Fanfic Wiki um, at that time. And then later on, um, I kind of fell out of fandom for a bit due to school and stuff, and then came back in with Kingsman, did a lot of, um, did a few writing, did a few fix. And um, moved on to there, um, and then I ended up coming into the Marvel fandom during my college years, starting with the with Spider-Man, and then figuring out that going from there to watching Avengers and finding a Discord, which was the Stu Coney Discord at first, and then stumbling into Stoning staying in stony and just becoming a mod and that's that's pretty much that's pretty much my fandom story 
That is, that's fascinating. I like missed entirely that there was fandom stuff on Wiki. Um, that was something I didn't really know. Oh, until yeah. So that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, is it still there? Is it still, I mean, like, I know about fan lore, but like is, is fandom still kind of active on Wiki or is it moved on? So in terms of fandom stuff in Wiki, it's less fandom, but more about um, giving information. It's pretty much a Wikipedia, basically, but it's very specific to a certain topic, certain character. So the Percy Jackson Wiki, which I was part of the leadership group back when I was 13, 14 years old, um, I ended up... um, doing a lot of editing for that that part that part of fandom and basically showing people here's the wikipedia of percy jackson about annabeth chase about like anything and everything to do with the percy jackson fandom um and then right now after going back for several years um it's now merged into a Riordan wiki. So basically, not only is it Percy Jackson, but it's also his other um, uh, mytholo- mythological um, fandoms as well. Fair enough. So the aspect of fandom that I've gotten to know you the most through is modding. So I'd love to mm-hmm. know what made you apply to be a mod in the put on the suit 18 plus Stony Discord? Sure. So it started off with Coaster just asking for mods. And at the time, I was currently abroad. And she wanted to have several mods from across the world because she's in um, Australia. And then Pear is also in the Asian area as well. Um, We had a couple applicants for the the North and South American uh, moderation area which is Robin, Sparkle, and Yurith and Fable and I was at the time the only um we were called Howleys back then so some moderators and I was part of the Europe group for the two months I was in Edinburgh and coming back uh when I came back to the U.S. uh she ended up promoting my fellow moderators and I decided to stay as a mod for a couple more months because I wasn't sure how much time I could spare in order to um to mod but it ended up being it ended up situation happened where I became a moderator and I stuck to moderation since Fascinating. So like we talked a little bit more about the ins and outs of moderation with Pear. And so I don't want to get into that Mm -hmm. again. I want to acknowledge that like this episode is a lot more about like generations within fandom. Mm -hmm. And so what I would love to know is, I mean, spoiler alert, listeners, uh, Tig and I are very different ages. (laughs) And I am, uh, I certainly got into fandom at the same age that Tig did, but like a decade earlier. So uh, what I am interested in is you essentially grew up in fandom. I did. And have you experienced, I don't know, any sort of like paternalistic, you know, oh, you don't really know what you're talking about because you're just too young or like, what has it been like 
to be a teenager and have this kind of massive responsibility in terms of fandom. Do you have any like thoughts or reflections on that? I think it's really interesting growing up in fandom. I think you have the same opinion, but when you grow up in fandom, you have a certain generation you work with. So for my generation, it was pretty much, I guess right now, like dealing with respect in talking with your elders, uh, learning that sometimes you don't like a certain trope, you don't like a certain topic, but you also don't talk about it because you know how in within generations, we we just basically work together. So I think my idea is probably my generation has worked with you guys, your your particular generation in regards to fandom, and we basically respect each other. I mean, I certainly like to think that we do. Um, it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, I'm a I'm a older millennial. I'm on the cusp of of Gen X, um, mm -hmm. and you're fairly firmly in Gen Z, I think. Um, yes. And so what I find really interesting is that like the real, the perception a lot of youths, as I steal Schmidt's phrase from, <laughs> uh, uh, from New Girl, these days mm -hmm. in fandom is that there's a lot of the getting caught up in the like anti-conversation or the kind of harassing conversation. The perception of some older fans seems to be that that's what the youths are these days. Mm -hmm. And do you have like, do you feel that like when people figure out how young you are do you get any feeling that they're going to start assuming that you are like the teenagers calling out aunties or have you established yourself so well at this point that you're not concerned about that the funny thing is people don't believe that i'm 22 so when i talk to people people assume i'm much older just because i guess it's the way i present myself within all of the servers in the way i in the way I mod. Um, but then again, there is the fact that my generation has pretty much grown up with the internet and the generation below us has been well embedded into the internet culture. So that, that culture, both in fandom and in real life, definitely um, affects how we interact with people. Yeah, for sure. For my curiosity's sake, what was the first social media platform you were on? Um, in regards to fandom, let's no. In regards to everything, it would be it's Facebook. Yeah, okay. I would. I got a Facebook in seventh grade. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and my first internet experience was getting AOL in my house when I was in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. and fandom was done there through message boards mm -hmm. um, and then i got a facebook when i was in grad school oh wow yeah i think mine was so definitely mine was first with wiki and then and then at the same around the same time it was fanfic.net oh wow didn't we all go through yeah. a fanfic.net phase um yeah but it also depends on which fandom you're particularly in um at some point i was also in the manga anime uh, fandom and they're very prevalent in the fanfic.net area um whereas something like marvel is very heavily involved in the aoc side 
Even now, even now, manga and anime are still on um, FFN. Um, I mean, right now they've begun to transfer from FFN to um, AO3. I've read like six that were originally on FFN had been deleted and reposted to AO3. But since I've left that, since I left those fandoms in general, um, I haven't really seen um, a big transition from that FFN phase to an AO3 phase in regards to manga and anime. Interesting. I'm I'm so mm-hmm. I, I'm so interested in. I mean, certainly all the fandoms I'm in are primarily uh, Western mm-hmm. culture-based fandoms. Um, Doctor Who, Harry Potter, um, mm-hmm. historically Dawson's Creek, etc. Mm-hmm. And I have missed like Wattpad completely, um, and some other places where it seems like some more of the, um, you know, Asian or Eastern or however we want to group art movements. Mm-hmm. Or a little bit in spaces that I'm not as familiar with. So it's really fascinating to hear that that the manga was really popular on, on FFN. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I still think it's a, quite a bit popular. But as I said, again, um, I haven't been in the anime manga fandoms in quite a while, for several years, actually. But you're not missing anything in the Wattpad movement because, oh my gosh, Wattpad is not particularly my favorite platform in regards to fandom. I don't understand it. Um, I don't understand how to navigate it. I don't understand what happens there. It just feels like this wild, wild west that is not for me. Yeah. Fascinating. So that's kind of the like exploration I was hoping to do together about ages and kind of what it was like to grow up in fandom. Is there anything else that you like to say about being your age in fandom um, in particular? Uh, before we kind of move on to recommendations and some some general ship feelings? So I think my final concluding thoughts is that I wish that antis, especially the generation below me, uh, will realize that we are an interconnected, intergenerational fandom, and that basically we should just all respect each other. Yeah, I mean, I don't, when I came into fandom all those, you know, millennia ago, like your kink is not my kink and that's okay was a guiding principle. Mm-hmm. And I know it is still in a lot of fandom spaces, obviously in nearly all the Discord servers I'm on, that's a, that's a guiding principle. And I'm not entirely sure when we lost that. I mean, people talk about that Tumblr is, Tumblr really, um, the very platform and nature of it allows harassment on a different level than, you know, perhaps LiveJournal did, things like that. But I, if I could have anything come back as a as an old in this conversation, it would definitely be the like, if you don't like it, just scroll by. <laughs> just scroll, you'll be okay. Yeah, at this point in time, I'm just like, I don't care anymore. If you don't like it, I am just pretty much gonna ignore you now. Yeah, somebody, um, as we record this a couple of days ago, asked me to stop posting Stucky on my Tumblr. And I was like, no, they're one of my yeah. ships. Thanks for playing. <laughs> this and is- then at some point, yeah, and then at some point um, at my, in my art Tumblr, someone was like, can you like post more stony? Can you like do more stony art? You're posting way too many stucky art and you have more notes in stucky than you do in stony. And I'm like, 
I can't really control who reblogs and who likes my posts. So what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah. Also, why, if you have that much time to observe that, can I hand you some volunteer opportunities within fandom that could really use your help? Mm -hmm. uh, that's always my response. When people like pay that close attention to somebody else's space, I'm like, are you looking for a volunteer opportunity? Are you looking for, are you looking for a new hobby? How can I help you? Oh dear. Anyway. I wish we had more time in general. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Let's yeah. I'm in my, I keep joking my time turners on the fritz, but it definitely feels that way, especially as listeners, as Tig and I record this, we are taking a break from our, our server mod responsibilities for Marvel Trump's hate. So this weekend of all weekends, I think we both wish there were time turners. Um, mm -hmm. So, but I, I know, I mean, like you and I share Stony and Stuckoni and Stucky as, and Winter Iron, I think even two as ships, and those are kind of our things. But are there any fix in any of those ships or any others that I didn't mention that are true loves of yours that you would want to make sure people read? So I mostly deal with St uh, Stony now just because I am the moderator I've put on the suit. So my favorite fix end up dealing a lot with Stony material. Uh, one of my favorites, and most of them are pretty much angst. One of them is Black Butterfly by Author in Distress. Um, it was gifted to Kiar, who is a really prevalent uh, angst writer within the Stony fandom. And it's a short fic, but it's super lovely, super angsty. I need to, I need to add that one. I'm just, I'm dipping my, sto my toe more into angst. Um, so I'm slowly reading uh -huh. my way through most of Key and, and Sign's back catalog. So I need to get to that one. Amazing. Yeah. And I'm assuming that you would, because I, you do this literally every time you're asked, you would also recommend Mizzy's Worms fic. Oh, my, yes. I, re I would recommend Mizzy's Worms fic, uh, which is where, let's see, I don't have it pulled up, but- um, I think it's, where, it's are where Our Restless Monsters Sleep. Yeah. Yes, that is correct. But I also really love her comic book AU, which is, oh my gosh. Uh, something about- I created solely fantasies from you. I'm gonna figure that out at some point. Um, let me see if I can pull that up. I'll um, link everything in the show third, notes. Yeah, I am very bad with titles and I love Mizzy, but I'm still really bad with titles. Uh, my third favorite pick is definitely by Kiar and it is called Plunge. Very angsty. Um, there is no happy ending to that one, um, basically. Spoiler alert, Tony dies, and Steve is very sad, <laughs> but basically, um, he takes us on a journey where Tony makes certain decisions where he falls in love, or he never stopped falling in love with Steve, but um, because it's a comic book, um, comic book verse, I mean, not comic book verse, it's 616, it's just super sad and basically that fix it is just a fix it without a happy ending. Wow. I know I'm uh, beginning to read 616 comics and I'm learning of the incredible baggage that Steve and Tony have with each other in 616. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of pain to explore there for fic writers. I can understand why it's so mm -hmm. rich and angst experience. So yeah. Well, my darling Tig, that's all I got for now. So I want to thank you so much for chatting with us and for your reflections on your experience. And 
anyone who wants to reach out and chat about this more, I know you are always on POTS and we can yeah. usually find you lurking around some other servers as well. But definitely if people want to chat about anything that we've said today uh, with TIG, definitely find her on POTS. Yeah, and definitely ping me just because I am a very busy person nowadays. Very true. You are full-fledged adulting. So Yes. God bless. Okay, thanks so much, Tig. Thank you. In light of the conversations that we've just had for the last hour or so about age and fandom, we felt remiss to not ask you guys what you thought about it. So we did first a poll just to kind of make sure that we had an understanding of the range of ages. Uh, I ran this on Twitter where I ad and then I advertised the Twitter poll on a couple different Discord servers. And then we also ran it on our Tumblr. And I will say what I found very interesting is that all the responses on our Tumblr skewed on the older edge mm. of the thing. I don't know what that, I don't know, you know, how to read into that, but I thought that was an interesting pattern. Um, and then, but this, the raw data on Twitter is that around 70% of respondents, and we have over a hundred people responding around 70% of them are between 23 and 40, which pretty much means that they're millennials. Yeah. And I think that's, an older Gen Z. I don't think that's a huge surprise. Obviously there are people older than 40 in fandom and we've got people younger than 23 in servers that we're in, but yeah that makes up the bulk of people who spend a significant time of their, a significant amount of their time on the internet, just in general, I think. Yeah. And there's a, uh, a couple things that my uh, professor flame hat can kind of draw from that in that a lot of these people are balancing early career stuff. Um, and there's a lot of stress. You see this a lot on servers, I think, where it's like, I'm trying to figure out how to do this life. I'm trying to figure out how to do this job mm -hmm. where a lot of us are figuring out either relationships and trying to become adults outside of our immediate nuclear or raising families, things like that. Yeah. Um, and I think as well, a lot of people are exploring the sexuality and gender spectrums in these, in this generation. Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing that as well. And so that's really, um, really interesting. It also makes me feel not quite as old as I thought I was. <laughs> well, that's good. We don't wait Although I am on the upper end of, I'll be, I will be, uh, I am 37 as we record this. So I'm on the upper echelon of that. I still, there are times where I felt, I feel like very, very decrepit, but uh, I'm not. So that was a perception and not a reality. You were a spring chicken. I am, but a, an early blooming rose. <laughs> what really matters is how many years you've been writing Marvel fan fiction. So you're just a teeny baby. Oh, I am a babe still. Yes, I am still fandom fetus. And I think I will be for a while. Um, yeah, it's we're almost May will be two years, which is insane. Wow. You really jumped in with both feet, though. I really did. I apologize to everyone. But yes, I did. I Kool-Aid banned into Marvel fandom. So there's something there's just something about Steve and Tony that made me do it. I've never done this with any other fandom. I tiptoed into all the other ones. Fair enough. And this one, I was like, here I am, motherfucker. <laughs> so, so once we knew how old you guys were, we asked um, if you could give advice to your younger fandom self, what would that advice be? And we had some amazing conversations come out of that little prompt. 
And I think what was fascinating is that it was from people who I know are way across that age spectrum. And so for younger fandom self, though, it sounded like we were all kind of talking to our teenage self in a way. Um, Depending on how we've been in fandom, we were still kind of all remembering our first fandoms, which for a lot of us when we were teenagers. Yeah, Um, preteens and early teens, yeah. Preteens and early teens. I know like I was 11, 12, around there. And and, like, I mean, we talked, your mom was too. She was pretty young when she got into things. And I was the same um, age. Yeah, so like we're all kind of around that age. Um, so it's kind of a couple different categories there. It seems like we can boil this down to be braver. Yep. That was a really it's common not one. As scary as you think. Yeah. People wanted to be braver about sharing their fan works, but also about participating in community, whether that's being braver about speaking another language because this fandom's in English, for example, and that's not your first language. People wish that they had braved that bridge earlier. Um, people wanted to be braver about speaking up in community spaces or leaving comments or posting their fan work. So that was a really, a really common feeling. But it also got me thinking that, you know, I think it's, it's almost impossible to be able to go back and tell our younger selves to be braver because it is the time of experience and just the practice and the living in it that develops bravery. So I think that the braveness that you have now that you didn't have before is born out of the time and the effort that it took to get from then you to now you. So it's sort of inevitable that you're gonna be braver now. And it's not necessarily uh, constructive to go tell your baby self to be braver because they are being braver every day. And those little, little bits are gonna lead to how brave you are now, which is amazing. Yeah, and I, especially with the joining community thing, I will say that learning how to read an internet room (laughs) is something that takes a lot of practice. Yeah. Even, I think, if you've grown up on the internet more than I did, I mean, like, again, I was 11. So, like, I spent a lot of my life learning how to make friends through written communication. And it's still difficult. And it's still... You still, a lot of people, and I mean, even if you don't really care as much what people think about you as I do, you still walk into spaces and you want to be liked generally and trying to figure out how you get liked in those spaces. Sometimes it's really, really hard. Yeah. It can be harder when you're at a tentative um, place in your development of your self-security and teenhood is generally not anyone's most confident phase of life. Not at all. And especially in our fandom where things are so, there are so many things you can be insecure about. Like what if you don't watch the movies as close as everybody else? What if you don't know comics at all? What if you forget what color Tony's eyes are? Like we have a lot of very small, small in like detail, not small in significance. Things that are almost kind of gatekeeping for people. And I, I really hope that no one is shamed for not knowing things, but I'm sure that has happened, even if it was in a joking manner. And so all the little things that you think you need to speak up, I think are, is a challenge. But yes, I would agree. I mean, I, I would definitely agree with Ferret that we need to be gentler to our younger selves all the time, full stop, because we just didn't know as much then. And your younger self did the best they could with the information they had. 
and that's always true, but also hope that if people were reading this or listening to this and they are uh, chronologically younger than you and I, that they can also hear that there's a lot of lived experience saying that this is a, that fandom is a place that you can be brave. And we're a good place to practice that bravery. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a distinct difference between like, I don't, I don't wish that when I was 11, I had gone and found like um, Buffy chat rooms and like pretended I was 13 and joined the chat room and stuff. I don't, I don't wish I'd done that. But um, if there are people who are, have their faces pressed against the glass and they feel internally ready for that experience, but that there's some external thing that gives them anxiety or fear about it, that absolutely, that is the point where you take, you, you, you know, gird your loins and go in because it's going to be great. And it's that first stepping in and the first time you speak and the first time you don't get inside jokes and you have to kind of roll with the punches. That is scary. And it is hard. I totally get that. But um, yeah, I think I definitely think that that's the place for bravery. So I guess it depends on your definition of it's, it's which of your younger selves you're talking to. <laughs> oh, for sure. And like, so my chronologically younger self, I think I handled, I did fandom what I would want, like how I would want to. Yeah. Um, and like, we've talked about this before, but there wasn't community when I was in fandom before. So like, that wasn't an option. Um, and so the idea, and obviously like the idea of bravery was, you know, different for me. I would, I would have told my two years ago self to be braver writing porn than I was for sure. Hmm. Um, and that goes to something that actually I'm going to bring up that Kate, who is, um, our artist, our cover artist for that you guys will recognize if you're ever on our website and looking at like the events for us. Um, she brought up something really interesting about art and, and talked about comparison and that she didn't understand that the, some of the artists that she was comparing herself to, who is a hobby artist, and I think she's incredible, um, but like she was comparing herself to people that had been, that had worked for Disney. Right. And they had to be on the same level and the same kind of skill set. And I know Tiss and Dragons talked about this in our interview was that they get asked all the time, like, why can't I be as good of a writer as you? And Dragons, I remember looked at the camera and was like, because I've been being paid to do this since before you were born. Yeah. Like, it's okay. And I, so I would like, cause I remember I read, I read Held and I read a bunch of Robin's Fix and I read that and I went, oh God, no, I could never do that. And that's what valid porn is. And so that'll never be mine. And so I'm just not gonna do it. And that was, that was, that put a thing on myself in my brain that was incorrect. Yeah. And so that's what I wish I could have told my two years ago self is that there, whenever you, it's the great fandom analogy of like, you go out to eat and sometimes you want McDonald's. Sometimes you want a really, really big steak, but McDonald's is not less valid. And there are lots of different kinds of fix and there are lots of different kinds of porn <laughs> and there are lots of different kinds of things. And what you write is what you write. There are stories that I wrote that should, that I should have pushed myself to do that because I wanted to put it in there, but I was scared that no one would like it. Right. Um, and I let my own comparison be the thief of my joy. Yeah. And that's what I wish I could have told my two years ago self. Yeah. I think that's um, a, and that's a hard lesson for most people to learn. I think that it's, that's a pervasive, a pervasive thing. And especially, I mean, if you, there's a combination of like, look at that age, the age range we're talking about just in this episode that we've got people who are 18 and we've got people who are 65 and time makes a significant difference in 
ability of anything. Practice is the number one way to improve a talent. And uh, therefore, older people just statistically are going to have had more time to improve. So it's it can be really hard when you're starting out. And the thing about fandom spaces is that we don't get any more context. We're all different people with different backgrounds and different jobs and um, different experiences and different amounts of time that we could have put into practicing things, all shoving our, you know, putting ourselves on this, our meal on the same potluck table. And you don't know who's a chef. You don't know who's a professional pastry artist. And all you can do is look at the, the, what is produced, look at the table and compare what you've brought with what other people have brought. And so, you know, some of the stuff that makes it easy for us to build community because we can't see some of the things that are barriers that might prevent people from being free in their interactions with each other uh, can also have an effect where, you know, you say, wow, we are both just here in this fandom and yet I compare myself to them and they seem so much more advanced and little do you know, they're 30 years older than you and this is their professional job. So I think that we, it does us all well to be kind to ourselves. You are your someday's younger self. So say to this younger self, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times I've told people in the server to be gentle with themselves and they usually say, <laughs> they usually go back and say, I have to do the same thing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm allowed to hate myself on my watch. None of the rest of you are allowed to do that. <laughs> Bad girl. <laughs> I am a, a terrible hypocrite and that's how this works. But yeah, I hope people listening to this episode learned a whole lot of things. Like I hope that you guys hear that fandom has never changed <laughs> in a really lovely way. And wherever and however we encounter it, it is still a whole lot of people that love a thing in a very specific way that other people don't love and we find community around that and that's great. Um, but also that uniformly, everybody kind of needs to learn the same lessons through it as well. And I think that's, a cre that's just creative endeavors and community. Like my university was really intentional about creating community within the university. Like we actually all lived on campus um, and that was a requirement. It like, cause they wanted to kind of have this bubble aspect and I learned a lot about how to live with people you couldn't stand. <laughs> and um, and if like if my college roommates are listening to this to this podcast ever, they would nod because they learned a lot about living with me because I'm not a peach. <laughs> um, and but I learned a lot about what it looks like. And I remember my senior year, I was part of campus leadership, and I was asked to talk to the like to the freshman class about what I hoped they learned during their time. And I very, very vividly remember saying, what I hope you learn is that whoever you are today is valid, but I really hope you're not that person when you leave. And to a certain extent, the longer we're in fandom, I think is, is because we should all grow and change. Mm. My point, not because who they are is wrong or anything, but because <laughs> you get older and change. Um, and I see so much in the two years that I've been doing this life and in the year and a half that I've been active on Discord, I've seen so many people grow in things they said they wanted to grow in. Yeah. And I've seen, you can see folks become more comfortable with themselves. Um, and like, I think about some of the people who like claim they really struggle with their English or folks who were so nervous to on the podcast because no one was gonna understand them and they were they had better English than I do. Um, 
And those little moments of bravery that prove that you've grown, those little moments of things where it's like, oh, this isn't as scary as it was because also like I did something else that scared me. And so now I can do more things that scare me. Um, and I think that's a gift that fandom can give. And we've said it before, like for us, fandom obviously is an overwhelmingly positive experience. We definitely have some, some moments, but, and for people, for some people, it's not obviously, but if it is a positive experience, use this place, use this space to test out who you want to be. It's pretty low stakes bravery in a way. Um, and so we hope you can do it. If you want to keep this conversation going, we would love to hear from you. We're going to keep talking about it on our Discord after this pod drops and on our social media. So if you have more thoughts on your experience of life and fandom uh, throughout the ages or uh, specifically about what you wish you could tell your younger fandom self, then still hit us up. You can also send anonymously to our fandom feelings. And next up, we have Tropoff. Ferret. Yes, Flame. How can I help you? Talk to me about Tropoff. Yes. I'm always excited to talk about Tropoff. <laughs> we have had, so last episode, we were in the middle of a, a round that was Mafia Mob AU versus Unrequited Feelings. And Mafia Mob AU won with 59% of the vote. So unrequited feelings took 41. That's a difference, but it's not the hugest difference that we've seen. Like that's not a really widespread. And I did get the usual, why can't it be both comment? <laughs> but also a new type shadow said that I'll only read unrequited feelings in conjunction with a tag like requited unrequited feelings or mutual pining. I feel like my ships, I need my ships to get together and live happily ever after and they won't with unrequited feelings. So some of it might be how you interpret the unrequited feelings tag, whether you see it as a, a temporary, a potentially temporary thing, or, you know, you're taking it straight up at full face value that these feelings are not requited by the other person. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely interpreted it as that that will still be paired with a happily ever after. So I that think it's it could like, be. I think it could be, but it definitely it could also be, could be not. Yes, but I'm myself. So I we've now come to the portion of the segment where we talk about me. Um, and I voted for unrequited feelings because I read that and I was like, oh, it's like an Eponine situation. Right. Um, and so I just imagined like Steve was totally head over heels for Tony, but Tony was an idiot until the very last scene. Right. Which is not mutual pining me. Mutual pining has to be both of them being idiots for the same amount of time. Right, right. Um, so that's why I voted. I also very famously mob AU is one of the ones I can't do. Yeah. Um, it just can't. So I was going to vote for whatever was against it. Probably they are. It's like the, I root for the Philadelphia Phillies and whoever's playing the Yankees in baseball. <laughs> totally These valid. were my, whoever's playing the Yankees. <laughs> um, so it's just, just I'm going to throw that out there. Um, but yeah, I get it. The mob thing is also seeming to have a moment. It's, it's hitting a trend and it's been, an, it's been on trend for a little while, maybe a year. It's been kind of peaking. So yeah, I think it's a thing right now. I think we can officially call it a thing right now. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of mob AUs running around. And yeah. that's I'm glad for people for whom that is good food. I'm glad. I think that I'm with you in that unrequited feelings works for me if there's a happily ever after. But 
we know that Flame and I are both solid, happy endings people. So for the most part, it's always going to be uh, tacked on if it's happy. Because I mean, obviously you could have a, a ha- an unhappy ending for Amabe, you too. So I don't think it's necessarily required. But uh, yeah, I've liked, I've, liked a, I've liked an occasional Amabe. It's not something I seek out, but I've definitely has, I've seen some good content. Uh, but I know there are some people for whom it is the shit. So hopefully there'll be more content. And for those people for whom it is the shit, it will be moving on. Uh, Unrequited Feelings had, that's its first loss. So it's going down into the loser's bracket. It will get another chance. And you will have another chance to vote for whoever is up against Mafia Mabeyu at least two more times. <laughs> Fantastic. Dreams coming true. So that was the weekend of our last episodes. That was the weekend of January 16th. But the weekend after that, where we don't have an episode, we did another trope off because they're going to be every weekend from now on. And that one was Wump versus Sex Pollen. Do you have a, do you want to guess? I don't know if you saw the results. Do you want to guess? I didn't see the results. I intentionally didn't. I voted and then like left fandom Twitter. So I didn't, I wasn't tempted. Um <laughs> Because I don't know. Like when I looked at that pairing, I was like, oh, I, these feel like what people are in a mood for, like more than a favorite trope necessarily. But my guess, my guess was sex palm. Do you think it was a big spread or a pretty tight race? I think it's, my guess was pretty tight. All right. Well, I think you're going to be interested. Wump won. Okay. With 62% of the vote. Sex fascinating wow okay now, i have seen i have seen that people's issue with sex pollen is a feeling of it like inherent non-conniness and there are a lot of people who are not comfortable with non-con or dubcon so it's possible right. that it gets categorized that way for a lot of people and therefore not on the table also we can not. assume some people aren't interested in reading about sex at all and therefore all of the, the sort of inherently NSFW ones are going to be off the table. But I am surprised that Wump basically kicked its ass. Yeah. That's a that's an angst, a fairly solidly angst trope beating out a porn trope and that is actually not common in trope off history. No, that's why I went with I that's I always back the porn horse. Yeah. So, yeah, we got okay. uh, one comment on that, um, Jay the Notable said, I mean, Wump, as long as it's hurt comfort, not just hurt, and then a little sad emoji. And I'm there with you. I mean, we everybody knows hurt comfort is my absolute favorite trope. And since it's not in trope off round two, I won't be, uh, you know, affecting anybody's positions by saying hurt comfort is the best trope to ever exist. So, and uh-huh. Wump can yep. be a big part of that, so... It's, it's also like, it's old. Like that's a core, that's an old core trope. You know, yeah, that wasn't like born out of anything. Like there have always been wump stories. There have always been wump episodes in every drama that's ever existed. Yeah. I mean, one of the very first published Sherlock fix was a wump fic. Um, I mean, and like by fic, I mean like back in 1912, like the literary societies were Sherlock wump. So yeah. So this is like, it's hitting something very deep and innate in people. And perhaps it was the specificity of sex pollen that was its downfall and not anything inherent to it. That's fascinating. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, and I, I, I'm trying, like I'm sitting here thinking, I, this is one of the very few episodes where I wish we were a video 
podcast so that you guys could see the way that this is all working out on my face right now because I'm sure it's fascinating. (laughs) She's going through something, you guys. I'm going through something. So Wump to me is so visceral that I never think about it as emotional. It's always physical torture. And that is, I know, incorrect. Because I've even written, like I got a prompt once for an Iron Dad thing where they wanted Peter Wump and I wrote him having cancer because I couldn't, I can't write physical torture. Not because I'm opposed to it, but because I'm not, I don't, I don't like writing physical things really. Um, Action scenes and I, whoo. So I'm honestly, I really think that instead of thinking critically, like I usually try to do with trope off, because I do, I really, I really do. I vote my gut and then I try to think critically. I didn't see past my own interpretation of Wump here to think about how the rest of you would see it because I really just did see it as porn versus torture and that's incorrect. So folks who love Wump, can I ask a favor? Tell me why, talk to me about it and talk to me about if it is different than hurt in the comfort or if it is interchangeable in your mind. That if we put womp comfort and hurt comfort up next to each other, would they be different? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because like for me, no. The The purpose of womp is to give you hurt comfort. Like that. that's, I agree with the comment on, on the Twitter. That is for me the process. Womp is amazing because it is the absolute hurtiest. And then the, after you get the absolute comfortiest. And since I don't particularly like sad endings and I don't like hurt no comfort, for me, Wump is always going to be hurt comfort because that will be inherent to the way I consume it. So it is the hurt part of hurt comfort in my mind. Obviously not every Wump story has a happy ending, but the way I consume it would be that way. So I would actually, I would have a hard, I would have a hard time voting in that one because I love that. That's fair. Orange. So if you disagree with Ferret, I mean, yeah, if you agree with, we always want to hear when people agree with us, <laughs> but in this particular, in this particular case, I'm really curious how people interpret Wump. Yeah. So to know why you voted the way you vote. And if you didn't vote for sex pollen because of the dub con non con, I totally get it. Uh, I totally get that. And that makes complete sense. I don't need to, he- I do- I'm always interested to hear your opinions, but like, don't feel a need. I'm actually actively asking to be explained, to have Wump explained to me. <laughs> so please come or confused flame. Yes. I, I'm curious to see if there's a lot of variety in how people interpret it. And that was a, a poll that didn't get a lot of, of comments, just the one that I read. So not a lot of people felt the need to explain themselves or I didn't get, I didn't get any wump sex pollen prompts, which come on people, come on. Oh, that's on, funny. Cause I just, people, I, I had a few. Yeah. Cause sex pollen feels wumpy to me. Yeah. I think we could go, I think we could make that. Yeah. I'm into that. I'm into that. You guys, I really want to have some kind of like, maybe I can build a thing where people can take the pairs and then write, send their prompts in because, oh, I would just love a database of all of the trope off prompts that involve combining the two because that would make me very happy. Oh, go build the spreadsheet. Cause okay, so here's my idea for Womp sex pollen is that the sex pollen, like the fucker die is a secret. So like they get like Tony, we'll just, we'll do Steve and Tony cause they're the easiest. So like there's a there's a mission, there's a battle, they go to a planet. Who has any idea? Steve gets sprayed with something and he knows or like he got tortured and like the being told him the only way that he was ever going to get his full powers back. 
So this de-serumed him. Okay. And the only way he was going to get it back was if was if he was if he like did his unrequited love like we can just shove these all together but like the being knows that he loves tony and he wants to sleep with me or that he just wants to fuck tony you can go completely you can go emotionless with this but steve has a certain amount of time before he will start like the sex pollen means that he will not be able to contain himself so he can either do it with consent or he knows at some point he's just going to pin tony down and fuck him and there's okay. a timer and he has to decide what he wants to do. Okay, but see, for me, that there's no wump there. That's that's angsty and it's difficult. But wump is about like just layering on hurt after hurt, whether it's emotional or physical. It's just not fucking letting up until you have a little squashed pulp of a person before the comfort can come in. So for me, so wump like has to be like never and like just like you're like okay next chapter they have to get out of this situation and they just don't and for me like that because it's like it's like an internal it's like an internal turmoil about how he's going to handle something to me that is not one okay so i want to hear what i want to hear what people think because i was thinking it would be like you could you can get this going on for a while where he has to watch tony be with people physically maybe it's not all his powers go away at once but like they slowly get stripped away from him and like maybe he actually starts to shrink again and like really really layer it on that way mm -hmm. okay um but like i don't read womp i ne never in my life searched out that tag and i probably never will i also um, think that it's possible like as a tag it has been more disseminated into other tags so people are more likely to use more specific tags and just like to tag something like tony wump or something like that i don't see that tagging practice as much as i used to i see a lot of p wump in iron dad especially oh yeah i don't really read that so yeah and i read i read quite a lot of iron dad people love to wump peter in iron dad oh, he's so squishy Ooh. he's so squishy. He is squishy and when you wump him you wump tony like yeah there's a knock-on effect there there's a knock-on so like i've never i've read wump stories a ton but i've never because of iron dad um right so it's like it's a category it's a category but like i've never sought it out interesting all right guys let us know we didn't have enough conversation of wump when it was happening so tell us now and right now what's happening now on Sunday, put your headphones down, run to my Twitter because you still have a little bit of time to vote. If you're listening to this Monday or after, I'm sorry, you missed it. You're gonna have to wait for the next one. But as this airs, we have um, this weekend's trope op is still open and we have got friends with benefits versus space AU. Wildly different, who knows, anything could happen. Hello again, fandom. I'm Only More Love, back with your events forecast. Today, I'll be sharing some info about what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you. So please, buckle up and let's go. Here's the usual note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast, linked and explained, in the show notes of each episode over on podonthesuit.com. Now for the good stuff. It's charity time again, people. The signups for Fandom Trump's Hate are open to all and will stay so until February 2nd, which is Tuesday. So hop up, don't miss out if you want to make offers, 
and keep an eye out for previews, bidders. The CAP-IM community's Reverse Bang is open for art submissions for another two weeks. February 10th is the official cutoff. The Shrunky Clunks Big Bang is open for author signups until February 27th, April 17th for artists wanting to claim. And the mods have been posting story prompts on their blog, so if you'd like to participate but are in need of inspiration, take a look, and either way, don't forget to sign up. The Loki Rare Pair Bang, a mixed bang with claims of both fic and art, is open for signups until April 1st. Open to any Loki ships other than Frost Iron, Loki slash Tony, or Thorki, Thor slash Loki. This is the perfect occasion to create for Frost Shield, Steve slash Loki, to your heart's content. The minimum word count for fix is set at 5k and one art piece for artists. Check out the blog for the full schedule and rules. The Starker Festival's mods on Tumblr will also be running two events during February. Both are based around prompts that are already available on their blogs. And one will take place during the week of Valentine's Day, while the other will span the entire month. So we have the Valentine's Day chocolate box event with seven prompts, one for each day of Valentine's week, focusing on love and fluff, and the darker, starker festivals, with four prompts per week of February, this time catering to the darker themes the ship can fit. Neither event has anything in the way of minimum requirements, but Darker Starker is strictly 18+, due to the nature of the prompts. Check out the blog for the prompts, and have fun. A star-spangled Big Bang has been announced. With a minimum of 10k words, the bang welcomes any story, shippy or gen, focusing on at least one character pertaining to Team Cap. Steve, Bucky, Sam, Nat, Clint, Scott, Wanda, or Sharon. Ships between these characters and others, like Tony, wink wink, are allowed. Signups will open on March 5th. Please take a look at their blog for the full rules, guidelines, and schedule. A Black Characters Matter prompt fest will be running from February 1st through April 11th, with a minimum requirement of 500 words for fic, and also welcoming a wide variety of mediums. All ships, themes, and or kinks are allowed, as long as they focus on at least one Black Marvel character. And they also have a Discord server you can join. Signups and fills for the following are still ongoing. Marvel Fluff Bingo. Marvel Holiday Fest. Cap IM Community Remix Events and Bingo. STB Steve Tony Bucky Bingo. As well as the Lights on Park Avenue Monthly Prompts. Friends, that's it for this episode. We do hope to see you again next time. Until then, be well. And that is a wrap for episode 23. Big thanks to my mom. And yes, that's still weird and wonderful to say. And to Athletiger for their insights and to Soupy Doodles for letting us use their wonderful art. 
The season finale will be on Valentine's Day. So we'll be talking a little bit about romance and porn because we're us and love, or let's be honest, we'll talk a lot a bit about it. We honestly can't think of a better way to wrap a bow on this incredible first season than to talk about love in all of its forms, considering how loved we have felt this year from you all. And I will now stop being cheesy before Ferret cuts the mic. Ew. If you'd like to leave us some fandom feelings about anything, remember that it's always anonymous. Then the link for that is in the show notes or hit us up on any of our socials to have a conversation. Please rate and view us if you're on a podcast platform. We just found out that as we record this, we are the number one hobby podcast in Sri Lanka. Amazing. First step to world domination. So yes, rate and review <laughs> us as you so choose. Watch, listen to us around the world. That's amazing. And we love it. This is your fandom podcast and we will see you for it again in two weeks. You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us. 